This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of Whistler Blackcomb, leaders in delivering adventure. Just naturally being aggressive is not my mentality. And so to know and be conscious of, I have to get, rev myself up to a level that's not necessarily natural, um, but I can. And that's what it's going to take to be bigger and scarier than whatever cliff that you are sizing up and, and what it takes. You know, there, there can be no hesitation or gentleness. Welcome to Delivering Adventure. This is the podcast that explores what it really takes to share adventure like a pro with your friends, your family, and as a profession. My name is Chris Capio, and I'm coming to you from Whistler, British Columbia. And I'm Jordy Shepard, recording from Canmore, Alberta. After a lifetime of working extensively in different parts of the adventure guiding industry, Chris and I have teamed up to launch this podcast. In each episode, you will hear top adventure guides, managers, marketers, and athletes share their best stories, advice, and trade secrets. The goal of this podcast is to share how you can take yourself and others farther from the mountains to the office and beyond. In this episode, we are joined by Lindsay Dyer to talk about the nature of adventure. We want to get her perspective on adventure and what it means to her. We want to hear about some of her big adventures and find out what it was like for her to ski off of a 75-foot cliff. Most importantly, though, we want to find out what it takes to overcome the challenges that come with big adventures. How does Lindsay face down her fear and how can we do it too? Now, when we talk about accomplishments, it is hard to know where to begin with Lindsay Dyer. She is a pro freestyle and big mountain skier, ski movie star, adventurer, photographer, podcaster, film producer, and entrepreneur. She's appeared in 18 adventure-based ski films. She was the first female skier to appear on the cover of Free Skier magazine, and her own photography has appeared in National Geographic. In addition to all of these accomplishments, she has used her experience and creativity to produce and direct the first all-female ski movie, Pretty Faces. Lindsay has also used her apparel and production company, Unicorn Picnic, to encourage women and girls to participate in the outdoors by offering mentorship opportunities and coaching. In this episode, Lindsay is going to share with us her thoughts on the nature of adventure from her unique and diverse perspective. Jordy, you've worked with Lindsay in the mountains, is that right? Yeah, Chris, a number of years ago, I recall working with Lindsay on some film shooting. I was working, uh, managing a heli ski operation uh, near Revelstoke, British Columbia. And I uh, was doing the film safety work um, for this, that side of it with the, the helicopter and uh, avalanche assessments. And uh, Lindsay was there as a pro skier um, with the film crew. And I, I just remember that she's, she's such a genuine person and incredibly talented, uh, physically uh, very, very capable person. And, uh, and just a joy to be around. She's just always upbeat and, uh, and really enthusiastic about being in the mountains. Wow, that sounds great, Jordy. Okay, well, let's bring Lindsay into the DA studio. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. How are you today? Fine, thanks. Good to see you guys. Lindsay, it's really great to have you with us. Where are you right now? I am calling in from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Wow. Awesome. What did adventure mean to you growing up? When I was growing up, adventure definitely meant swinging over over rivers and singing uh, at the top of our lungs with uh, my adventure girlfriends, <laughs> where we would pack a, a lunch in starting in third grade and probably all the way through middle school and and just go exploring in the mountains. Uh, and, and coming up upon whatever you did, you know, I, I still remember, like I said, finding random rope swings and swimming, swinging over, over rivers, uh, hiking up and finding surprise lakes, uh, and swimming in them. And, uh, that, that really built our confidence. And, and, you know, that's the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask what it meant growing up. 
So can you think of an adventure that you have had that has really helped to shape the person that you are now? Yeah, I think I think the biggest uh, the biggest thing that comes to mind is is stepping up to a really big cliff that I had never uh, I'd never seen a female step up to, and I was told multiple times by uh, that what I realized was just the accepted belief, which was that uh, a woman couldn't do that, couldn't withstand uh, an impact like that because our bodies are not not equipped for it. We're not as strong, blah, blah, blah. And in a lot of ways, that made a lot of sense. And uh, and at the same time, um, I, I questioned that and challenged it with mindset. Uh, and And it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life to to really go into my own belief system and every cell of my body and really ask if we could change this this given um and find that that I could you know with not without a lot of training and preparation um and by the time I did finally step up to it it w- it really was one of the most empowering experiences which taught me that all limitations are meant to be challenged and the given is an opportunity to, to, to shift. Uh, and so that, that bit of that adventure really translated across all aspects of my life. You know, if I could, if I could break this, this boundary, um, you know, what else could I do? Uh, and that's the kind of thing that I try to tell women and, and girls and kids is that you came here to challenge the the norm and you you do have <laughs> within you um, that opportunity if you choose to believe something different than than what everyone else does um, and it's not overnight and it's not magic um, but it is possible and that's how we expand reality For most people, the idea of jumping off of a cliff is a huge obstacle to them, and rightfully so. The cliff itself, of course, is a physical obstacle. However, there's another component, and that is the fear of what could go wrong. Lindsay, how do you overcome that fear so that you can push past big obstacles like cliffs? Well, first, it's uh, it's curiosity, you know, like that that childlike curiosity. And it's funny because I speak on this all the time now. Um, and I've, I've gotten it into like bullet points of like, what, what really did it take? Um, and, and wondering, you know, making it a game, you know, you know, what if, right. Versus, uh, black and white. And, and then, um, and then a lot of showing up, um, and, and, you know, it, I can't say that it's incremental. Like I didn't start with a five foot cliff and then go to a 10 foot cliff <laughs> cause you don't really do, uh, a a 50 foot cliff and then a 60 footer. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I was reading a lot on, uh, the fact that our, our brains don't know the difference and our bodies don't know the difference between a visualization and reality. And so, you know, as a young ski racer, I, I've been programming these like techniques in for a long time as a young athlete. Um, and, and watching them, them work. So, uh, I've probably been training for this my whole life. Um, on top of making sure I was really strong on top of, you know, the physical weight training and hiking every day and having my feet in the snow. Uh, and the first time I went up to do this, um, the whole mountain came down actually, uh, it happened to be, uh, I, I had a friend on the, on the other side of the the mountain that I didn't even know was there who uh, happened to be hiking up the other side. And I was, I was hiking up and just heard that horrible thunder (laughs) that, that we all know from that means there's an avalanche happening. And I knew that a friend was being pulled off a cliff at that moment. Um, And in, in, on that day, you know, instantly aborted my mission and then went, uh, what happened to be first on the scene to dig him out and thought I was, was going to be digging out a, a friend, um, a dead friend. And somehow the, uh, he had been cushioned, um, with all of the, 
all the snow in the fall. So that was a scary day. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, visualization and, and belief, you know, the, all this scientific research shows that, uh, like I said, our, our bodies don't know the difference between a visualization and reality. And if you can trick it into, um, believing that you've already done this a thousand times, 2000 times, then you have. Wow. That's a crazy story. May I ask what ended up happening to your friend? He never came back to skiing ever. <laughs> um, he was one of the strongest, you know, greatest, greatest athletes. And, and probably the fact that he was so strong um, uh, saved his life. Um, but I think that day just, um, you know, I think all of us uh, who call ourselves pro athletes at some point or another, like there, there's definitely this magic time when you, you really are sure that you you can do anything and i've been through that too and it, it, it is a magical place <laughs> and 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 jumping this cliff really added to that um but sooner or later you do find your limits and and it breaks you um first physically and then mentally um in in my case it was i can that's another story but i can answer that one later but i think for him this this was that for him is um where he got served and, and humbled. Um, and it wasn't worth it after that. Lindsay, can you think of an adventure that you have had that has really tested your abilities? Tested my abilities, uh, like every day in the backcountry <laughs> for one reason or another, whether it's, um, not necessarily abilities, but tested just, I, I think that's the thing about the outdoors is, I think all of us that really spend time outdoors have this humility because we get our asses kicked every single time in some way or another, you know, maybe it's not always physical, but in that, in those times, it's a really difficult client or, um, really difficult weather, or you've got a six toe that is crushing you, <laughs> um, that you can't talk about because you're the guide. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just humility. I mean, every single time I can't say, I, I mean, every, well, I feel like every time I went out with a lot of confidence, that's, that's when I usually got myself in trouble. So it's, it's going out there every time with humility, expecting it to be incredibly hard. And then hopefully surprising yourself that you were more prepared than you thought. I think that's probably what's kept, um, I mean, I have learned the hard way a lot of times, um, and but building that humility is what's kept this career going for as long as it has. I completely agree with you that humility is a key trait to have, especially for the people that are in high-risk situations. How do you think we can develop this skill, or is it just something that develops over time with experience? <laughs> Uh, that's what, that's what nature does for you. Um, I think we really do have to learn the hard way. Um, the, the easy lessons don't necessarily stick and, and, uh, nothing humbles you like, um, those big lessons it, in my case, you know, having to sit for a year after, um, pushing through on something that didn't feel right and or not speaking up loud enough and um and getting really injured uh but you learn those lessons when they <laughs> when the mountains really really crush you <laughs> i mean there's this scar under my lip there's one i almost lost my eye that one was the one for me that um that 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 broke me um in in ways because i saw the the fear actually on my on the people around me's face. It's funny when you're a girl and you hurt yourself, even there could be 15 men around you and they will not help you because they do not want to see the carnage on a woman's face. <laughs> I could get, I got zero help for that one. I had to ski myself down, um, take myself to the hospital. So I learned a lot about fear. So you talked about uh, jumping off that cliff sounds like that was kind of a, a bit of a game-changing, life-changing moment for you. Talk to our listeners about what that actually feels like while you're doing it, 
while you're in the air? Like, what is that like? Yeah. Like I, like I said before, uh, I prepared for it for a long time, uh, mentally and physically. So it certainly wasn't something I just like, Oh, that sounds fun. I'm going to go do it. Um, you know, when it was first introduced to me, uh, it was like the exact story is, is hiking out my very first day ever getting an opportunity to film with Teton gravity research and hiking out into the back country with Todd Jones, the, um, uh, one of the founders of TGR. And he points up at this, <laughs> this rock wall that we're, we're hiking underneath. And he says, why don't you hit that? And I literally can't see the top. Uh, like it's not I, I hit what, right? So, um, I think the biggest thing is sort of, is how do we put these, if there was a message, it's like, you don't even consider sometimes what you, how big you could go unless some, somebody else maybe puts that in your mind because you just, you just wouldn't even consider it. And, uh, and that first day I was like, I, like I said, I couldn't consider it. Um, but over time and looking at it over time is when I could start to like expand my, perception of what could be possible. And that's where, you know, after that, getting into the curiosity of it. Um, and then, and then, like I said, just a lot of time, um, wondering (laughs) and, uh, and just being in the mountains every day and, and listening to the mountains and, and being challenged. Um, but by the time I finally did get up there, uh, you know, I had, I had, researched every shrub and rock on that, um, um, on, on that piece of mountain. Right. So I, so that I would know where I was once I got up top, but the truth is it was so steep. Once I finally got up there that, you know, I looked below me and I couldn't find any of those references. All I could see was the valley below. And that was absolutely terrifying. (laughs) And that's when I learned for the first time about being gripped. Um, I don't know if you guys have that term in Canada, but, uh, we have a mag, we have a magazine climbing magazine called grip. (laughs) Yeah. So this is, this is a a real physiological phenomenon where your body literally takes over and you cannot move. It was, that part was terrifying too. I, I could not move. My body was like, Nope, I don't know what you're doing here, but we're not moving. Um, and that in itself was, was, yeah, terrifying. And luckily I had my best friend up there and he was like, Hey, just take, just take a step, um, a step forward. And I was able to literally take a step forward, you know, slide forward in my boots. And that little step, um, I've, I've since learned, I do a lot of studying around flow states and I've since learned that that's a trigger for getting into flow state is literally just a step of movement. And that's a fun conversation to get into too. Um, but I did that and, and all of a sudden the mountain did open up to me and I did recognize the bent over tiny tree and the tiny rock and like finally recognize where I was. And, um, in that, uh, sort of recognition, like everything kind of fell away and, immense gratitude came in and uh yeah that feeling of being um I don't know instant flow kind of came over and I knew I had it and then skiing the line was was in that state of of pure gratitude which is the most incredible feeling in the world and I think that's also known as flow and then um, I had planned hitting this thing as as fast as I could because I was trying to, um, the best tranny at the bottom <laughs> was pretty far out. Um, and as a ski racer, I always knew that speed was your friend and allowed you to keep control in the air versus just falling off of something, <laughs> which I've seen other people do off the thin cliff now. Um, and so that was my intention is to hit this thing with as much speed as possible. And I did. And the only thing that I didn't account for was it was so big that, um, you actually, I hit terminal velocity. 
Um, and you know, I've, I'm in the air in in a good position that I've learned from years and years of downhill skiing and hitting jumps. And and the the wind caught my skis. You'll see this if you ever watch Jamie Pierre's like um, world record like 250 foot cliff fall. <laughs> the wind picks your skis up, um, and that is the only thing I hadn't accounted for in my visualization. And it kind of threw me back a little bit. But the biggest thing I remember is is the sound. It became so loud um, in that free fall of hitting terminal velocity <laughs> without a parachute on. And, and that's the biggest thing I remember um, that is uh, pretty scary. <laughs> um, I didn't have enough time to get afraid, but, um, you know, in, in you asking what it's like, that is the biggest thing. And then when you're going to do something like that, um, it's still violent. You know, that landing was violent, um, but I was prepared for that. And so it's not, it's not rainbows and butterflies, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was prepared. Yeah. With the film work, uh, film safety work that I've done as a guide with yourself and other athletes with TGR and, uh, matchstick productions, I, it's, it's an interesting perspective because it's basically the, the athletes that are making the decision where they're going to ski. Some, you, you would hope so <laughs> if you're working with the right people. Um, I've definitely learned the hard way um, with the wrong people who like to tell you where you're going um, and decide what you're capable of and not. Um, also, hard, harsh lessons. Yeah, for sure. And I, so I've seen uh, from the work I've done with athletes that I'm in often in, like if I'm working with a heli-ski company where the athletes are coming in to use that heli-ski terrain, in Canada here is kind of how it often works and we're providing the safety. I'm, I'm not making a decision of whether you can or cannot ski off of something. I'm doing more of the avalanche and crevasse danger safety and, and uh, cornices and that sort of thing in terms of bad things happening while you're on the line. Um, but it's, you're it's, one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not, not me making that like decision, <laughs> but uh, I, I can get caught in the, in the mode of saying, Oh, that looks like really good skiing because I've been working with, heli ski clients right where we're not necessarily skiing super steep lines all the time but you know we're looking for good snow conditions and and that sort of thing um which is you know sometimes in the films we're doing that too um especially when the avalanche danger is a little spicier but you know i'll, I'll be saying thinking as we're flying in oh that looks like a great place for these athletes to ski and then you can't see me here on the podcast but they will point like hard right out to the helicopter and say well can we ski that and it's I'm just not in that mode for the for the terrain use. And I look over and I think, well, can you? Because I'm not concerned about avalanches there. You know, it's steep and sloughs all the time. And it's it's up to you if you want to ski that. But then, yeah, you're going to have to find where you find your line. It's so different when you're looking at it from the front uh, and from the air. And then you get on top of it. And I've always been super impressed where we've done you know, 10 days of downtime, waiting for the right lighting conditions and flyability to get into the terrain. And so, you know, the, the athletes are playing ping pong and, you know, kind of, kind of doing shoots down by the river. And, and then, then you're in a machine and getting dropped off at the top of a mountain that you've had three seconds to look at because you, you're paying for the heli time and you want, you want to not spin the rotors too much and spend too much time looking at the face. And then you got to find your way down from the top blind. Essentially, it's, it's super impressive. And do these athletic feats like jumping off of stuff and twisting and turning and going upside down. Whereas me as a guide, if my skis are above me, something's generally gone wrong. Yeah, it's, it's very impressive. Yeah, it, it, it couldn't be more of a, a mind fuck. <laughs> I think uh, the first time I was ever... At, at Micah, in fact, um, it was the first time I ever got to to be in a helicopter and film. And it was exactly what you said: three weeks waiting for sunshine and sitting in the lodge. Um, but me being the only female, I couldn't actually stay in the lodge. I had to stay uh, in the the heli garage, you know, the, you know, almost a quarter mile away from everyone else in the employee housing. So you're on your own, you are isolated, you're with people you don't know, you're stuck in the rain, so you can't really move the way you're used to. And then all of a sudden, it's game time. 
and you've got to go perform and do the scariest thing you've ever done. Uh, looking at maybe having, like you said, maybe 10 seconds to, to make a decision of where you want to go and then being put down on the top of it and trying to remember uh, where the line was. It's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And I think the, what it takes there is, uh, and what I see in <clears throat> so many of these guys that just impress us over and over is I think you just, you've got to want it really, really bad more than all of the biggest consequences. Um, and that's, that's good and bad. <laughs> But it is an exceptional way to deliver adventure to people that, that watch these films and see the ads that you're in and social media streams and all that kind of stuff, because a lot of those people will, will never be in that situation. And so it's, 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 a, it's a really interesting way to, to get that adventure um, portrayed to the masses. It is, but it's also only one way, right? And I find it... Um... Uh, heavily masculine um, and not necessarily uh, uh, negative, but uh, there's so many other ways to be in the mountains uh, and have that connection. And I really look forward to the day when there's, when more of that um, almost spiritual aspect is, is commercialized versus this is kind of the only way we're used to, um, like you said, those the heli clients that are the majority of people out there, their experience isn't necessarily reflected in the media because it's like not rad enough, right? And that's like coming from an ego perspective. So, uh, I try to spend my days like trying to figure out how to um, represent in a beautiful way um, the the way that in which anyone can be in the mountains, not just the people that are doing death defying acts and feel welcome and feel like their experience is valid. Cause that's the stuff that really matters. As guides, we definitely, we do more lower end, we would call it guiding and instruction than we do the high end stuff because the high end stuff, it, it's risky and it's, it's not necessarily where most of the clients want to go or what they want to do or what they're capable of doing and and risk levels that are not acceptable um but it's it's a it's a real perception based thing right this this whole idea of adventure and you know if if you've ramped it up to the point where you have in your career maybe maybe you have a different perception of of adventure so how has your perception changed over time uh i think i think it's never really changed there was just only an opportunity for one aspect of it, which is the extreme, right? For me, like I said, since, since I was a little girl, um, nature was a safe place, uh, to go explore and to connect and to dig in the dirt and to, um, uh, you know, have self-discovery. And I think that's how most people encounter nature, but again, it's not necessarily reflected back in our, our current media. Um, and so I, I tried to, in order to be accepted in this world, you know, I tried to mold myself into what it was going to take to be accepted. And I think that is a huge motivator for a lot of athletes, whether they, whether they admit it or not. Um, if you have a dream of being paid to ski, it's sort of like, this is what you know you're going to have to do. Um, you're going to have to put your life on the line over and over and over um, to, to try to be accepted. And uh, And for some people, that's that's great. Uh, again, I just, I find it a bit limiting and, um, and exclusionary. And I think now we're really coming into a time where maybe the other aspects of encountering nature are more accepted. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to see that shift. So you have a podcast showing up, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, recommend it to all of our listeners too. What have you learned from your podcast guests about what it takes to deliver adventure? What are some of the, the takeaways you've had from your guests? You know, my guests are typically are athletes or wildlife biologists. Um, and the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is, is it's really a personal drive to, to be out there or deliver something um, 
and that kind of motivation is what has brought them to where they are. You know, the first person I think of is Alex Honnold, and he doesn't do what he does in order to deliver adventure to anyone else. He's on a personal mission to to see what he can do out there. Um, and I think, you know, when when I look at you guys and what you guys are doing and all the guides that I so respect, um, it's it's different. It's it's about delivering adventure for other people and creating a safe environment where where they can have that magical experience and kind of lean on you for the to feel safe. Um, so I can't say that I've learned other than, like I said, that having that personal drive to, to be out there and making it work and making a life out of it, um, from my guests, because as much as, again, we're sort of shown in media that it looks so easy and everybody has all this cool gear, um, that amount of self-directed drive to make a life outside is is massive, um, and and no one ever kind of sees how much work um, it takes. It's so often perceived as easy and um, you know white and uh, <laughs> and and it's all just gifted to you. Um, and I think again, our culture sort of has taught us that we have to make it look that way. Um, and very few people, unless you're really in it, recognize, <laughs> I mean, to, to be a guide, you basically, it's, it's a doctorate of how much time and uh, education it takes to, to have the responsibility of taking people into the mountains. Um, and, and most people don't understand that. So what do you consider to be a big adventure for you now? Um, where you're at in your current life? Oh, well, I am currently on the biggest adventure of my life. <laughs> I am six months pregnant and uh, I thought I was ready. <laughs> I thought that uh, I, 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 yeah, man, nothing prepares you for this. I thought being an athlete would prepare me um, in terms of mental challenge, in terms of like, oh, well, I've been injured before. It's like that, right? <laughs> it's just a, uh, it makes you take some time off. Uh, and, uh, that maybe that's helped. I think being injured just helps you develop as a, as a human in general, um, as a character developer, but this one is, is a whole new level. Um, and like I was telling you guys before we hit record, it challenges you on every single level. You, um, I have all any insecurities I've ever had or have all come to the surface, any fears, any, um, you know, attachment to, uh, my body and, and what it should be able to do or what it should look like is insane. Um, how much shifting, um, goes, goes on. Um, and also how magical it is. Uh, I was saying to you guys too, and I, I've been telling all my guy friends, I wish you could experience this because it is so cool <laughs> to be a human koala and get to bring your best buddy with you everywhere you go. <laughs> uh, so there is challenge and there is magic and, um, and yeah, it is, it's the biggest adventure. It also comes with so many unknowns. You know, I make my living, um, as an athlete and being able to perform as an athlete. And so, um, it's a giant jump into, um, you know, is, is the world that I know going to accept this because the world that I came into it initially, you know, very much seems like it, it, it liked seeing bubbly blonde girls young, um, and, uh, and doing fluffy powder turns. And that's, that's where it wanted us to be and to see us develop, um, and still be accepted, um, is, is happening in some ways and, and other ways it's still in the past from my experience. Um, I, uh, when I, when I let my sponsors know that I wanted to get pregnant, um, I kind of had thought that we were in a time where that was, that was accepted and celebrated in our industry and, um, actually lost a lot of that support, which was a huge surprise to me. And, um, uh, you know, whether people admit it or not, um, 
they're not necessarily ready to see this. <laughs> and then um, I've had some some come around. So um, kind of like everything I feel like in life, you have to choose to make the jump and then see who's coming along with you or not. Yeah, well, hopefully they see the value in uh, in following through with you and and your life and and this particular adventure. And uh, you know, I I think uh, for the for the people who purchase products and are are, are supporters of of those companies, uh, they they all experience these same things that you're experiencing in terms of life and living life. And um, yeah, hopefully it'll be a natural fit. Yeah, you know, in on the positive side, there's definitely um, starting to be that appreciation for the fact that uh, young families do spend money in the outdoors <laughs> and uh, and there might be value to to promoting that sort of lifestyle um, beyond just the um, you know big stunts in the outdoors so I am seeing it and I'm so grateful for that that bit of shift um, you know I just re-signed for two more years with Fisher skis and so it's really showing me that um, that that shift there, there is possibility for, you know, uh, developing a real like lifelong connection to the outdoors, even as it, um, might, you know, change what it looks like. So grateful for that. Yeah. And for, for children too, coming up, right. Uh, to, to be able to do experience these things using that equipment, you know, and they say with kids, you know, you give them the love, instill the love of bikes and skis and that sort of stuff, and they'll never have enough money for drugs. And I am a perfect example of that. Um, yeah, I'm looking to, and maybe add this to my podcast or a book, of all the ways that um, parents made it uh, magical for, you know, introduced nature um, in, in, in a safe, magical way, uh, and and all the creativity that goes into that. And what's so neat about it is, as um, elitist as, as, as people assume that being outdoors is, it's one of the only places that doesn't require um, a lot of funds to get out there. You don't actually need fluffy, fancy products, new products to, to get the benefit. And it's, it can be a place where uh, it's really creativity and the people you're with um, can, can make it magic. And for a little kid, that's everything. And that's, that's exactly why I started the nonprofit that I did um, is to is to help you know for people that didn't have that magical parent or aunt or uncle to introduce them to the backcountry spaces to have mentorship and and friends and education um, that could fill those gaps and make it a safe, fun, welcoming place. Uh, switching gears a little bit here, how is the ski film Pretty Faces different? Uh, than the other ski movies that you've been in? Yeah, you know, after being in, in ski films for 10 years as a professional athlete, um, I just sort of assumed that the movie in my head would, would get made because it was, it was why I skied, which was the community and the road trips and um, the funny things that happen along the way. Uh, and um, I wasn't seeing that still after all that time in, in the industry, I was just seeing um, movie after movie being about big stunts, um, and and again, that just wasn't that wasn't to me what what made this world so special. And so I really I really wanted to capture um, those little those little moments, um, and also highlight women and girls and and help them see themselves reflected back uh, in these arenas. Um, and uh, so that was, it was sort of like, I, it was kind of at a point in my career, where I was like, well, I can continue jumping off another big cliff, um, but it just didn't have the meaning anymore. And, uh, and, and when I thought back about just how much this sport had given me, it was like, all right, well, um, it's time to, what can I give back to the sport? Um, and it was really scary. Again, you know, I was told it wasn't possible. I was told, uh, the reason there's no women's ski movies is because they don't work and they're boring and no one wants to watch them or, you know, the only way I, and I verbatim heard every one of these only way someone's going to watch a female ski movie is if you have a naked pillow fight in it. Um, and just one thing after another, right. Uh, 
And it was another, um, again, it was, it was everything that that cliff had taught me about visualization and about challenging, um, the given, um, belief system as in, in a sense of curiosity and play versus black and white, like what, wouldn't it be cool if, and, um, not really, I, I had to let go of attachment to the outcome, just had to really be present and humble and just know that I was showing up every day, um, with the hopes that this would work. <laughs> and, and it ended up, yeah, um, selling out a hundred grassroots shows across the country and is still, my intention was if I was going to do this, I, I wanted it to have staying power, not just be something that you had to do over and over. Um, and, and it has, you know, it's still selling, um, every day on iTunes <laughs> and, um, even DVDs. Uh, and, and the vision was to show a skier girl, um, from youth to the neatest thing about, I think our sport is that you, you can and do enjoy it for a lifetime. It's not like basketball or something where you have your glory days in high school and then you never do that again. So, um, and that relationship to the mountains changes. Uh, and so I really wanted to showcase all of that and, and it worked out. It was one of the most, again, um, pivotal experiences of my life of shifting the norm um, and finding out that you can. Yeah. So you've had a lot of coaches, you know, you, you, you start off as a ski racer and, and you've done all kinds of other, uh, you know, outdoor sports and things like that. So you've had a lot of different coaching. What kind of strategies has you found that have been effective to help you get the best out of yourself in these different situations? So I think the biggest advice that I got from a coach that it didn't even register at the time, but it is something that I use in the backcountry all the time when it's time to really step up. And he said, um, his name is Ruben. He was from South America, Argentina. And he said, as, as scary as the mountain is, you have to be scarier. And that really shifted my skiing. Uh, I was not the best skier. I, I was a timid skier early. Um, I, never had the great technique. Um, I have, I have childbearing hips and A-framing is something that I struggle with. Uh, and, and just naturally being aggressive is not my mentality. And so to know and be conscious of, I have to get rev myself up to a level that's not necessarily natural. Um, but I can, and that's what it's going to take to you know, to beat your slough, to be bigger and scarier than whatever cliff that you are sizing up and, and what it takes, you know, there, there can be no hesitation, um, or, um, gentleness out there in some ways. And, and I think that's, no one really talks about it, but, um, you've got to get yourself to a, a more aggressive place, uh, to kind of tackle some of these big things that, that we're so used to seeing look easy out there. Um, and, and it requires work to get there. <laughs> I listen to a lot of punk rock when it's time to get there. Um, a lot of stomping and just really elevating my energy and drive and focus. Um, and that's not, that's not everyday life. In fact, like when I've spent a lot of time in those places, um, that cliff I was telling you about, that took such an immense level of aggression, um, the person that I had to, to turn into, that I didn't actually like that person afterwards. Um, and, and it took some down-regulating to get back to a state um, where I liked who I was. <laughs> and, and I understand you know, how you might meet a lot of athletes that they seem so intense, and they are. Um, and maybe that's their, their general mental, that's where they exist. And, and that's why they shine in the outdoors because that's, they finally have an outlet. But for the rest of us that, um, that's not our natural state. We have to get ourselves there. So, uh, you, you've talked about it a little bit here, but tell us a bit more about your work with she jumps and unicorn picnic and your various initiatives that you have going on. Yeah. So, 
So she jumps came uh, as um, again in that kind of magical time where asking ourselves, you know, if what if wouldn't it be cool if? Uh, and my best friend and I, Vanessa Pierce, uh, we had both been in in soccer all the way through high school and loved. She, I mean, she was big time. She was the um, captain of her team uh, in at Washington state, like not Washington state, like UW, like big, real division one soccer and, um, played with hope solo and whatnot. And just, I really miss the camaraderie of a team. Um, I had grown up, you know, as a ski racer, primarily it's an individual sport and, um, I loved motivating a team and that camaraderie you felt when in, uh, you know, individual sports, uh, when, when someone does really well, you're kind of like, oh, it's great for them, but uh, you know, and, and team sports, I loved that you were always cheering on someone else to be their best, their best self. And in that way, you really felt bigger, um, than yourself. Loved that about team sports and really wanted to bring that to, especially the women's side of skiing, because, um, as it stood, there was very few spots for very few people that were highly competitive and, and that was it. Um, and just to create a space that was welcoming, um, so that women and girls felt like they had a place out in, out in the backcountry beyond how the guys were doing it. And so we would dress up in tutus and be obnoxious and overdo it and, um, bring the fun. And I'm a graphic designer and, I had been developing, you know, as a skier again, right? We're still having to do everything. Like I, we all, I've, I don't think I've ever not had three jobs <laughs> as much as uh, people might assume that this is such a luxurious path. And um, so I have a graphic design degree. I had been making t-shirts and greeting cards and I had developed this uh, giraffe corn um, today. I've got the panda corn on. Um, and I just thought, well, maybe, maybe I could fundraise by making these, these t-shirts and stickers. And, uh, to this day, the giraffe corn is one of our greatest fundraising tools. Um, and it, it, you know, when someone's, I would always notice when someone would see it, they would lighten up and they would, they would smile. And that was, that was my hope for any sort of art that I brought to the world. And so uh, it naturally became um, a symbol of of a speci specifically women getting outside. And it's really neat to see the stickers on helmets and <laughs> Subarus at trailheads, <laughs> and uh, and creating those those spaces because we're different than than men, uh, and we're incentivized differently. And community really helps we find, um, and lightening up on ourselves really helps. And so we kind of, it, it started like that. And now, um, it's really taken a turn toward, uh, really building inclusivity, um, beyond, I mean, we're, we've always been trying to fight a fight's not the right word, but to create more inclusivity in general. Um, but now really education and, finding ways to, to feel like, uh, you have the same set of skills that anyone else does, um, that allows you to feel safe outside. So really proud of where that's come. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess this would be an opportunity for shameless plug of, of my podcast. It's called showing up and it has, um, like you guys are finding it's, it's very rewarding. And to be able to, to have these kind of conversations, we don't have these conversations in everyday life and we should. Thanks so much for this, Lindsay, and best of luck with motherhood. You can find more about Lindsay's work by visiting her website, lindsaydyer.com. There you can learn more about some of her initiatives, like she jumps and unicorn picnic. She's quite the entrepreneur. We also recommend that you check out her podcast showing up with Lindsay Dyer. And of course, don't forget to check out the many films that she has been in, including, of course, Pretty Faces. Well, Chris, the focus of this episode was the nature of adventure. Lindsay definitely covered a lot of ground on that topic. What were your key takeaways from what Lindsay said, or things that might have come to mind for you during that discussion? 
Well, Jordy, Lindsay definitely covered a lot of ground there. Two points that I want to touch on are personality and assertiveness. Starting with personality, I thought Lindsay did a great job of role modeling some of the key traits of great adventurers. These included humility, determination, perseverance, and preparation, and of course, assertiveness. When it comes to assertiveness, she mentioned that when we are faced with a big challenge that requires us to perform at our best, we can't be passive. We have to be assertive. We have to switch into what I think of as our attack mode. As Lindsay noted, this can be difficult as it might not be in our personality to be assertive or aggressive. In fact, as you highlighted at the start, Jordy, Lindsay is a very nice person. Tapping into this assertive side of herself was admittedly difficult for her, but she has obviously honed that skill pretty well. This is something that I've noticed that many high-end athletes are able to activate in themselves when needed. For our listeners, I want to share an experience that I had a couple of months ago that might help them to activate their attack mode when they are faced with a big obstacle. I was leading a group on a canoe trip when we got to a more difficult part of the river. I knew the group, who were quite nervous, would likely find it intimidating, so I asked each of them to name a ferocious animal. I got answers like tigers and bears and so on, but one of the answers really stuck out. One of the clients named the gerbil as being the most aggressive animal they could think of. From that point on, any time we were faced with a spot where we had to focus and be assertive, the saying became, release your inner gerbil. I would say that if you have a hard time being assertive, you can try this strategy. So your animal is probably not going to be a gerbil, but whatever it is, imagine yourself being that animal in attack mode. Then, see yourself succeeding. Linking this back to personality, an important trait of an adventurer is their ability to envision a positive outcome. We tend to go where we look. If you want to overcome big challenges or to make it through high risk or technical terrain, you will need to see yourself doing it. I'm pretty sure that when Lindsay is getting ready to ski down steep chutes through tight trees or when she is hitting big drops, she isn't visualizing herself crashing or even struggling. Instead, she's seeing herself crushing it. If you want to overcome big obstacles, you have to dream big if you want to go big. As Lindsay highlighted for me, Adopting a positive but assertive mindset is one important component of experiencing the nature of adventure. Jordy, what stood out to you? Yeah, I agree with you, Chris, that uh, that attack or kind of it's it's sort of taking the lead. And I think in a lot of this idea of delivering adventure, you there are times where you're in the backseat and there are times where you got to take the reins and, and step up and be the leader, whether you're leading yourself or others. So I, I think, yeah, that's a really important uh, thing that we, we saw uh, with, with this uh, podcast with Lindsay. Some of the things that uh, really stood out for me were the, this key trait of a high-end athlete and their ability to process their environment around them and make decisions really quickly. And there's, there's all different levels of athletes and, uh, and people out in the outdoor industry. Um, and, you know, not to say that everybody has to perform at a very high end. Uh, it does seem to be kind of a bit of a theme though, uh, for people performing at that high end, uh, they are able to process things pretty quickly. There's a lot of information coming at you. And when it's everything from eye hand coordination to what's happening, uh, we're talking about skiing here. So the texture of the snow, um, even like, you know, a rock or something like that, you know, things are, things are happening pretty quickly and your, your safety and survival when you're putting yourself in that environment and moving quickly really relies 
upon uh, rapid fire decision making. And so people who make really good decisions uh, and, and push forward with confidence, um, that often works in their favor. However, there is this trap of overconfidence too. And I know as, uh, as my time uh, working um, with search and rescue teams, that's when we get called in is uh, because of overconfidence at times. So you really have to, yeah, ride, ride that edge of the sword uh, where it's like, okay, this, I got this. And then other times where, you know what, I've got to slow down because I don't got this. So Lindsay referenced the example of being put in a situation where she'd only been able to gain a brief glimpse of the terrain and she'd have to ski through it, but was still able to charge through the terrain in a way that kept her safe. And it did work out um, for her and it often does. It has uh, worked out for her in her career as a pro skier. Um, but she's also, you have to recognize there's a lot of decision-making going on and there are times where she has decided she looked before she left and then she decided not to leave. So you don't have to be jumping off huge cliffs and be taking on super high risk situations to have an adventure. <clears throat> Chris and I really want to highlight that. Adventure is a state that any of us can experience. And, you know, we see these adventure films uh, putting high end risk, uh, risk taking on display. It's just, it isn't necessarily what is normal for most people. So we just, for our listeners out there, we, we just want to remember that. Um, most people who achieve adventure in those sports do it with far lower level of risk. Uh, they expect to come back safe. And while people want to get some level of adrenaline rush, for most people, success is not being terrified. It's more feeling excited and for the most part, being pretty in control of their situation. Adventure is for everyone. Now let's turn it over to you, the listener. What were your key takeaways? You can share your thoughts, stories, and insights with us via our social media feeds or by emailing us. You can find all of our contact information at deliveringadventure.com and in the show notes. We've also posted Lindsay's links in the show notes as well. Please don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button for this podcast in your favorite player so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your like-minded friends so that they can enjoy it too. Before we finish, we have one last funny story from Lindsay. Thanks for listening. So we like to keep our podcast, you know, we've got some heavy topics that we, you know, we've talked about some here and some serious topics, but uh, throw something humorous at us here to, to finish off. I think uh, poop stories in the backcountry are pretty funny. <laughs> I have a friend that um, I always think of that, uh, you know, so often we, we have to, the you're getting up at four or 5 a.m., to be on the top of the line right at sunrise, which is often, you know, six or seven. And uh, it's early. And uh, it, and you you don't get a warm-up run. You have to uh, you have to send it. And I have a friend that um, – <laughs> I'm so sorry if he ever has to hear this. <laughs> but um, I wish I could turn it. His last, his last name – he is a guide. And uh, <laughs> uh, his last name is, is Pope. And he – he in his film glory days um was on the top of that line and didn't have time to have his morning um you know coffee and and uh go to the bathroom time and only had time to go hit this big cliff and he 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 went and he went and did it and captured this beautiful line but at the bottom of it um we renamed him Josh Pope <laughs> Josh Poop <laughs> Because the poor guy had had lost it in the landing, <laughs> which is totally understandable. But that's the first thing that comes up, um, and I'll never forget a time. You know, you're always nervous and uh, peeing in the backcountry, and and you're uh, as a woman, you're always used to squatting and and um, kind of hearing <laughs> hearing things, yeah, peeing. Um, and I remember one time get squatting down going pee but never really recognizing that I never heard it hit the ground and as I um as I you know stood up and 
um, I had those gloves that um, have the little the little elastic coming off of them so they don't fall off. And what I didn't realize is in holding you know my pants in in the in the right place, I had perfectly placed my glove under myself and and completely filled up my glove with pee in the backcountry <laughs> and had no replacements for that. So um, other than like these tiny skinny you know little little liner gloves. So uh, that that glove um, just stayed in the heli basket for the rest of the day and I skied in my liners. <laughs> but I'll never forget that like why am I not hearing anything? And then, and then coming around and seeing this like pool literally to the top of my glove full of pee. So there you go. Yeah. So glamorous. 